Okay, uh, let's immediately address the elephant in the room. Quarter after is my deadline. <laughs> I have a device in my hands. You are watching me do this. I'm pushing clock. I'm pushing start, and it's running right now. Okay. Another thing I want to just, you know, I've got my half hour, I can use it the way you want to. I just want to say, I've said this in, in a couple of board meetings as we discuss the affairs of the church, and I just want to say right now, the worship service is as important as whoever's you are talking to. It may be the Lord's already addressed what you have on your heart. And I'm not offended by that. And you're an adult. Do you need to go? Go. I don't like it. But you can go. It's okay. I won't be mad at you. Okay. So let's pray and let's do this. Heavenly Father, this has been burning in my heart for a while. I pray that you will use my tongue to say the things that you want to get said today. And I pray that the ears that hear it are hearing what you have them to hear. Not just clever sayings for me, but what you have for them. I pray that that can happen in this time. Amen. Okay, so a couple things, almost like announcements. First of all, you know I thought about this. The first show I ever delivered was in an old school service of God church. It had a pulpit. You know what a pulpit is? Yeah. Big wooden desk. Four square feet. I could use a pulpit right now. Just for what it's worth. Alright. Now, I always say, would you please read your Bibles? Which reminds me, did anybody actually I know some of you did, but did any of you actually read Jeremiah 39 through 45. Did any of you find that there was a little punch in there? Now, I thought about this. If you're not a reader of the Bible, can I suggest that you start where I did when I was 13 years old? Start with a paraphrase. All this is, is somebody taking King James and turn it into language that a 13-year-old 1976 could understand. That's all it is. As you can see, this is actually the first Bible I ever read cover to cover. It has, it has a little chart. And I use pencil and pen and crayon to keep track of what I've been reading. And I read every chapter. If you really can't stand to read the Bible, you are so missing it. The Bible is God talking to you. You need to read the Bible. Okay, shift out of that mode. <clears throat> Another possibility. I've been threatening this for over a year. Uh, have you ever heard of the movie sequence, uh, the TV series, or whatever they call it now in the modern world, called The Chosen? Okay, I have bought all three seasons of The Chosen, but I've only watched the first season. I finally, uh, finally got my wife 
to watch it with me. And it's on my heart to open our house on Friday nights and have movies at Stansfields. And we'll watch The Chosen together. And I haven't watched second and third season yet, but here's what happened for Lori and I. Now, just so you know, I might be up here talking, but I'm not particularly holy, okay? Um, we don't, we have, okay, it's, well, it's to this. That darn show gets us to crack the Bible every time we watch it. Did Jesus really say that? Did Jesus really do that? Is that really how it went? Now, it's, it's theater, you know, it, it, they're using license, but there it is. It provokes thought. It, it, so, anyway, I, we haven't set it up. If you're interested, contact me or Lori. We'll get your name, we'll get your phone number. And I'm thinking Friday nights, but that could be the wrong night. We don't know. We haven't done it yet. But there's something about a small group, and there's something about looking at Jesus. It's good. Okay, um, warning, uh, Linda. Um, I can't do the Bible without getting emotional. Amen. And if that offends you, I'm sorry. And I get it, by the way. I grew up in the Assembly God Church. I know that those, I know there are ministers who work it. And they work it to get into your checking account. And they work it to get into, okay. All I can say is that's not me. Just like a watch, okay? So here we go. All right. So, this is going to feel, uh, I was very pleased, by the way. There's former students out there right now. And that's really cool. I don't know if you like me or not as a teacher, but you're going to get more of it today. <laughs> so, here we go. The story that I want to get into is that what happened in Judah after the last king came to an end. So that's what we get the title. So we're going to do a little review. Uh, how did I get here? Well, I started some two or three years ago. If you've been here all along, I start, I got fascinated by David and Bathsheba. And if you, I don't know what I'm looking at here, whether you've been to church all your life or not, but... David and Bathsheba got my attention because God got really, really mad at the man after his own heart. And it seemed out of line to me as a human. It was just really extraordinary how angry God got with David and his conduct with Bathsheba. So I, I started there. And by the way, I think the reason why is it was such a it was such an in-your-face, absolute betrayal of every significant human relationship he had in the world. It wasn't just a couple of strangers sneaking off from their families doing their thing on a Saturday night. He was in-your-face sticking everybody that ever mattered to him in the back. All right. Next, and this is just a sequence of time to hear and where I got started on that, this is just kind of what God's been taking me through. The Davidic line splits where Solomon's son is an idiot. He's 46 years old and he's dumber than a 12 year old. Uh, Israel immediately goes into idolatry. Now, the truth is, 
There was never a time when Israel wasn't doing idolatry. There was never a time. I just got done reading the book of Judges last night. There was never a time when the Israelites were not worshiping idols. I don't know, but I think maybe that's true for us too. Just maybe. So Israel was conquered, and large deportations to Assyria occur. That happened about 740 to 722 BC. Judah continues. She has an occasional good king. Israel never had a good king. Not one man who was king of Israel was ever a good man. Not one of them ever loved the Lord. But Judah did okay sometimes. Hezekiah was the good Judean king in office when Israel was conquered. So when Israel collapsed, and their next door neighbors, they shed a border. But when Israel went down, Judah didn't get sucked down by that. Uh, the Assyrians tried, that's one of the great stories of the Bible, that's one of the things they tell you in Sunday school. It was great. Manasseh, which is Hezekiah's son, becomes king at 12, and he is the poster boy for evil. He, he was a bad king. And he's followed by Ammon, so that would be Hezekiah's grandson. He's also evil. He, he was no improvement. And then there comes Josiah. And that's a wonderful story. There was every attempt made on Josiah's life. The, the people, yeah, so there we are. And he survived, and he was very good. So, Josiah is Manasseh's grandson. He's very good. And Judah's last gasp before final judgment. In fact, God says so. Because you're good, I'm not going to bring the judgment down right now. It's coming, but not right now. And then there comes Jehoahaz's son. That's Josiah, Jehoahaz, Josiah's son. He's evil. He's imprisoned by Pharaoh Necho. And that is obviously Pharaoh. That makes him an Egyptian. And he only lasted three months. Now, more detail than I can do. Egypt and Assyria and the Babylonians are doing a dance, world conquest dance. Judah and Israel are just getting sucked up. Uh, Eliakim, the brother of Jehoiakim, is placed in office by the Pharaoh, and he lasts 11 years. Lots of stuff happens during that time, but that's just the sequence. And then, Jehoiachin, son of Jehoiakim, grandson of Josiah, is in office during the first Babylonian sacking and deportation of Judeans. This includes the king, his mother, and his wives. It's one of those funny things that I haven't really done the study, but it's, it's weird how often these king's mothers get mentioned, given that women had no rights and all that. Um, they were evil influences on their sons, is the bottom line. Uh, Mataniah, whose name was changed to Zedekiah, is placed in Jehoiachin's place. He is the end of the line. He's the last king. Final destruction and deportation occurs about 586 BC. Zedekiah was Jehoiachin's uncle, and Zedekiah was a royal brother. So he was a, a direct descendant of David. And Judeans were really counting on God's promise that David would never lack to have a, a descendant on the throne. 
clearly they thought that promise trumped everything else that they could possibly do, including all mosaic things that got sort of go mess around with, with all these items. So here we are. The end, right? Jesus is next. We're done. Uh, all the nobles are slaughtered. I mean, literally, their heads were cut off with swords. ISIS kind of stuff. That's what they did. Uh, they literally burned anything that was wooden. And anything that was stolen, they tore apart, one, one off the other. Um, just I thought it was interesting. I looked it up. According to this Halal Gila from the Hebrew University of Jerusalem, there's, it's his estimation based on archaeology that there was about 6,000 people in Jerusalem when all this stuff was going down. <laughs> How many people are in Colton? 1,000 plus addresses? And two or three people per household on average? So maybe they were twice as big as Colton. That makes us still smaller than the wall. Would we notice if uh, some occupying force came in, took all of our royalty, whoever they might be, would we know who they were? Would we know they were gone? Uh, I think so. Um, anything beautiful or useful for security is torn down. All the gold is gone. All the art, all the treasures, all that stuff's gone. So, how about the rest of the story? There's this guy named, and I'm going to butcher this name, Nebuzaradan. He's the new sheriff. And his story, he comes up in, in uh, Jeremiah 39.9. It's actually his job, according to, the, to King Nebuchadnezzar, to export the last people we want to go off to Babylon. And he, basically in Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, anyone who's still breathing, which, by the way, is an act of God's mercy because the plan was to kill everybody left in Jerusalem. They go to Babylon. Okay? Now, Jeremiah 39, verse 10, middle of the paragraph. There are poor folk left in Judah. And they own nothing. But they're still there. Are they Jews? Yeah. Are there still Jews in the land now? Yeah. Nebuchadnezzar gave these people vineyards and fields. The owners are all in Babylon, if they're alive at all. So he gave them this. This is like the original communist plan. Take from the rich and give to the poor. It happened right here, right now. Happy days are here again. All you had to do was survive. And you got all this stuff that had been taken from you long ago. Because one of the sins the Judeans had committed is every 50 years they were supposed to release, it's supposed to be a year of Jubilee, they're supposed to release all the people they put in slavery. They're supposed to give back all the land to the original people they bought it from. They were supposed to get everything, a big reset. I've heard that term. They never did it. The whole time that they were in existence, they never followed those rules. So, the Acts of Nebuzaradan, Jeremiah 39, 11 through 40, verse 6, the Babylonians knew perfectly well that they were God's instrument sent to bring disaster on God's people for their disobedience. Now, I don't know who told them that, but they knew it. They knew that they were here on a mission from God. I'm thinking of the Blues Brothers. So it's a cultural reference to anything for anybody. Okay? They had something they needed to do, and they were going to get it done. 
He gave Jeremiah, the prophet that we're reading from, he gave him the choice of where to live. So he could go to back to Babylon, and he could be living off the king's dime for the rest of his life. And that's not going to be a bad way to live. Babylon was the cool place to be in the world at that time. Or he could go anywhere in Judah that seems good to you, whatever you want. Or you can go to Galilee. Galilee, who's that? We'll get there. So, Jeremiah is given a ration, and I don't think it was poor new ones. I don't think these were sea rats and cans. I think it was good stuff. Probably the best stuff left that the Babylonians hadn't taken out of the land yet. He got a goodly share of that. Plus it gave, and he was released to do as he pleases. By the way, released, well, he did, then Jeremiah chooses to go and get a line. Back to him again. But what we need to know is that the Judeans had thrown Jeremiah in prison, pending execution. That's, that's where he was when the Babylonians came through the wall. He was sitting inside the jail cell. Actually, he was sitting in a mud pit, but that's another issue. All right, so Jeremiah chooses Gedaliah. Now, who's Gedaliah? Gedaliah was from Mitzvah in the land of Benjamin. Now, I don't know if that makes him a true Benjamite. He might have been from a different tribe. But something Pastor Rod said years ago, and I've noticed it comes up. You gotta pay attention to Benjamites. Benjamites can cut real good or real bad. They are known to be villains, and they're known to be heroes in the Bible. This guy was a hero. He advocated for cooperation with the Babylonians. Uh, his death is still remembered by observant Jews on the day after Rosh Hashanah. Uh, he came from a family that was historically devoted to the Lord. Ahiakim, because this is Gedaliah, son of Ahiakim, that's how he's always referred to. Ahiakim protected Jeremiah from Jehoiachin, so the father of Gedaliah had already showed favor to Jeremiah. He was already on record as being a pro-Jeremiah man. And, we'll just keep moving. He was the grandson of Shaphan. I'm not sure I'm saying that name right. This is the man, and this is where, okay, a lot of details, skim right past them all. This is the man that brought the book of the law out of the temple to King Josiah. When King Josiah was still young, they were cleaning the temple. And they found a copy of the word. And it had been so long, they didn't know what to do with it. But this guy was still godly enough to know that this was important and it needed to get to the king. And it sparked a revival in the city of the nation of Judah. So this is a godly man who's the grandfather of Gedaliah. Does it matter what you are doing? Yes, it does. Are there guarantees? No. But it matters. Before God, it matters what you are doing at 60 and 70 and 80. The game's not over and you're not out if you're not dead. You grandparents, it matters. Okay. 
So not only was he godly, but the Babylonians showed him favor and wanted to use him to be their governor while they were gone. He, of course, was assassinated by another royal member of the Judean family. Uh, Ishmael. That's, mm -hmm, that's a, there's lots there. We're skipping past it. Bring it on. Okay, so there's two major points. I'll get done. Number one, God provided abundantly. And I realized as I was putting this together, I haven't stopped and read a single scripture yet. So let's stop and read a single scripture yet. Jeremiah chapter 40. Said. There's a hand gesture that would express it. 
Then, Jeremiah chapter 24, the first exiles, there's this, this vision given. And the exiles that are already in Babylon are called good things. Good to eat. I don't know about you, but I actually like fig newts. My life was, I like Good figs, they're good fruit. And the point is, God has very good intentions for his people by way of the Babylonians. It looks God awful because sin is going to be paid for. How many of you know that? You commit your sin, you take your woman. But how many of you learned that when you're with God, that woman goes down better? <laughs> okay. So, Jeremiah 38. And let's go to that one right quick and read that one too. 38, 14 through 18. Again, King Zedekiah sent for the prophet Jeremiah and received him at the third entrance of the Lord's temple. And the king said to Jeremiah, I'm going to ask you something. Don't hide anything from me. Jeremiah replied to Zedekiah, if I tell you, you will kill me, won't you? Besides, if I give you advice, you'll listen to me anyway. How many of you didn't want that? Huh? I'm scared. You're going you're gonna to knock me between the eyes when I tell you the truth. And that's true, right? It's going to happen. Okay. Uh, King Zedekiah swore to Jeremiah in private, as the Lord lives who has given us this life, I will not kill you or hand you over to these men who intend to take your life. Jeremiah therefore said to Zedekiah, this is what the Lord, God of armies, the God of Israel says, if indeed you surrender to the officials of the king of Babylon, then you will live. This city will not be burned, and you and your household will survive. But if you do not surrender to the officials of the king of Babylon, then this city will be handed over to the Chaldeans. They will burn it, and you yourself will not escape from them. We already know, but it's that kind of do again. I think he held up both hands this time. That's three times that the royalty asked. Now remember, the poor folk are left, right? Zedekiah, all that stuff that's gone. Now the poor folk are left. They've been given all the good stuff that's left. They've been given the land. I don't know about you, but be owning, outright owning a piece of land. You know in Oregon right now, people who own a piece of rural land property in Oregon, it's a single digit percentage. All the land in Oregon is owned by other folks and big businesses. By the state of Oregon, by BLM by Weyerhaeuser. All the land is owned by those folks. Very little of it is owned by us. But all of a sudden, the poor folk, they own that land now. So, the poor folk go, and they're going to ask. So let's read 42, 1 through 3. Then all the commanders of the armies, details. Ketelai has been killed. Ishmael did the job, and he ran away back to the Moabites and the Ammonites. I forget now who. The people that are left are going, now what do we do? The, the Babylonians chose a man who's been killed. They're going to come clean our clocks all over again. They're freaking out. Would you freak out? I'd freak out. So they asked the commanders that are left, and there's three interesting fellows here, but I'm not to get through it. Then all the commanders of the armies, along with Johanna, son of Kariah, Jezaniah, son of Hoshiah, and all the people from the least to the greatest approached the prophet Jeremiah and said, 
May our petition come before you. Pray to the Lord your God on our behalf. On behalf of this entire remnant, for few of us remain out of the many, as you can see with your own eyes, that the Lord your God may tell us the way we should go and the thing we should do. Can I just suggest this for a moment? I'm going to suggest that God never intended to remove every last Jew from the land. He never intended that. He took the evil leadership and wiped them out. But he left all the poor folk, which by the way, I'm sure they're all out worshippers. I'm sure of it. Now, I bet a lot of them double did. They went to the temple and worshiped the Lord as prescribed sometimes. But then they checked off the box with the pagan gods as well. But God was leaving them there. He was giving them all land all over again. It's almost like a redo with Judges and Joshua. And they go and they ask, what should we do? Right off the bat, what do you think happened? How many of you think they did what God said? How many of you know they stuck their fingers up in the air? Okay. So, oh, let's take this. There we go. Oh no, what did I do to myself? Tim, I'm lost. I don't know how I got to that. Which one do I want to do there? That one? Sure. Perfect. No. Go back. Okay. So the, the poor folk are asking God what to do. And next, God promises to provide. And he just doesn't kid about that. He just, he's just not kidding about that. But now the people are going to do their refusal of God. So God tells us not to run to Jeremiah. So this is, what Jeremiah, this is what God said back through Jeremiah. He said to them, this is what the Lord says, the God of Israel, to whom you sent me to bring your petition before him. If you will indeed stay in this land, then I will rebuild and not demolish you. I will plant and not uproot you because I relent concerning the disaster that I have brought on you. Don't be afraid of the king of Babylon whom you now fear. Don't be afraid of him, because this is the Lord's declaration, because I am with you to save you and rescue you from him. I will grant you compassion, and he will have compassion on you, and will allow you to return to your own soil. But if you say, we will not stay in this land in order to disobey the Lord your God, and if you say no, instead we'll go to the land of Egypt, where we will not see war or hear the sound of the ram's horn or hunger for food, and we will live there. Then, then hear the word of the Lord, remnant of Judah. This is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says. If you are firmly resolved to go to Egypt and stay there for a while, then the sword you fear will overtake you there in the land of Egypt, and the famine you are worried about will follow on your heels there to Egypt, and you will die there. All who resolve to go to Egypt to stay there for a while will die by the sword, famine, and plague. They will have no survival or fugitive from the disaster I will bring on them. Just look at the world history. Did God do that? Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. You don't have to read the Bible to know that that's what happened. But right now we have a war going on in the Middle East because the Jews finally got back there after the Holocaust 
crazy country going nuts supporting the people who started the war. And I don't know if I'm stepping up a little bit with Let's move on. Step on up. <laughs> Here's my question for you. Where are your refusals? Now, obvious question. The whole COVID thing that shook us all. None of us liked it. None of us enjoyed it. It wasn't a fake thing. Real people really died. I can give you a list of the people I know that died. It wasn't that it was fake, but we're all here. What did we refuse to believe about God's provision in that time? I don't know what your answer is, but it's something to think about. Because I'm pretty sure another way is coming. I'm pretty sure. Next, do you refuse to believe God has your best interest at the center of his heart towards you? And honestly, I didn't think this up for myself. It was Laura. Some years ago, she, she mentioned this idea to me. And I have found it as I consider it. We just can't take God at his word. God means it. God means it. God means it. He means it. And we just don't believe it. He means it so much that he sent Jesus to die for us, and we don't believe it. He means it so much that Jesus resurrected from the dead, and we don't believe it. We don't. We sit here in church, we use the right words, we sing the right songs. We don't believe it. We don't believe it. So my challenge to you, because I can feel Tessa pushing against the door, my challenge to you is, what do you need to do between you and God? What do you need to do to get this believing thing working? What is it going to take? I cannot answer that for you. And I don't have a particular 12-step program to take you through to get you there. I'm just laying it out there for you. Take this in your heart and go to the Lord and say, hey, truth is God, I don't believe. You know what God does with honesty? He loves it. You can tell God anything. I've told God really nasty things. I mean, with all the bad words and everything. And I'm still standing here. He didn't send a lightning bolt. He did send a wonderful woman into my life. Amen. He has given me another chance in more places in life. That's what God does. He's redemptive. He bought it with his blood. And he fixes it. And you never see it coming. You don't know how it's going to happen. You don't know when it's going to work. You don't know how long you have to sit here in this place. God takes care of it. God isn't kidding. We have to take it seriously. Okay, um, I don't know if that went well or not, but I'm done. Let me, uh, let me pray for you. I, at this point, I can't even... There's not even a thing to do. It's just a, this is your thing now. you got to go out the door, and you got to find out whether you're going to believe him for the next whatever it is. I don't know what it is. Heavenly Father, I don't think this went the way I thought it was going to, but here it is. And I just pray that you take these words, you take the hearts that are in this space and in this place, the hearts that might be hearing it somewhere else, some other room, somewhere else in the world. 
I pray that you would just bring each person to the point where they know that you aren't kidding and they see it. They see the fields and vineyards that they didn't think they were ever going to receive. That they see the restoration of relationships they didn't know it could happen. That they see the breaking of addictions that are tearing their hearts apart. I don't know what all the problems are, you do. So Father, I just pray, as we leave this morning, that we take you seriously about the things that you have promised in every book of your Bible. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys so much for being with us today. And uh, as always, um, it's been a, a long service. But uh, greet one another before you leave. Uh, there's more food in the back. You're welcome to stay and hang out. The worship team has one more song to play as you go. And Dan has a special something to say. Yeah. You two come up here, please. Don't hurt me, Dan. I'm not. I'm a hugger, not a mugger. <laughs> I didn't want them to walk out that door without knowing that we love them, that they're going where the Lord wants them to go. And true life, we're with them. A new adventure, the Lord has blessed them, brought them to us. We love these. I mean, look at what they put up with, what they've done, the sacrifices, and they love the Lord and they love us, they're here. So I want to pray for them to make sure they have our prayers with them before they walk out that door and go to Texas. So if you'll all bow your heads and follow along. Lord Jesus, we have two here uh, that helped build the church that you gave them. That you put on their heart, Lord, that they took that mission you gave them to the little town with Kim and the family. You began what we have now. We know that you're moving them to another location, Lord, and you're with them every step of the way. It's a joyous time. It is a new adventure, Lord. And we know that they're going to touch a lot of people down there and bring you to them, Lord. We praise your name for these two wonderful people the blessings and the love that they have shown us and give us. And we ask, Lord, that you're with them every step of the way. You give them wisdom. You give them strength and joy and an adventurous spirit, Lord, that they can go out and conquer more for you. In your mighty name, Lord Jesus, we command thee to, to go and take God to the people in Texas. Amen. In your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.
You are not. 